0: Uh, welcome back, and uh, thanks for being uh, on board through quite a full-on session this morning. Uh, this one is a little bit lighter, a bit more applied. We pleased Saturday afternoon, big weekend. I get it. Um, this way today we're looking at the Sabbath day, and I am going to do a bit more work tomorrow with you on probably the heavier lifting of what's the relationship between the Sabbath day for Israel back when it was given in Exodus chapter 20, we just read, and us today. I am of the position that you cannot move directly from Exodus 20 to a Christian today, and that it's not just a straight line, and that it's just simply all about taking a day off and ceasing work and all that kind of stuff. Uh, There is something bigger at play, and you'll notice the way I move from Israel to us, is it's not unrelated, but it's related through principle, and you might use the language of wisdom, in applying it um, principles that the Sabbath was an illustration of, but not a command for a Christian today. I don't think you can place the Old Testament command to uh, take one day off in seven uh, on the uh, conscience of a Christian in the the way it was applied to Israel. And yet it's not unrelated. There's a bigger discussion there that you've been having at church, understand? Did you get Matthew 5 and 17 to 21? It's all tied up in that big picture and... Uh, You guys can do some of the heavy lifting. At the moment today, I'm going to talk about how it applied to Israel and then talk about what those principles behind the Sabbath may apply to a Christian today. Okay, let's think about, if you can with me, do a little thought experiment of transporting yourself back in time and place to being an Israelite back in the time when that command was first read out to the Israelite nation. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Um, What do you think that would have looked like for an Israelite? What are they supposed to have learnt from taking one day off in seven? Um, And you can see if once a week you had to really strictly stop, not just in a vague try and find some time off sometime within that period, but like down tools or you'll be stoned, which was actually how seriously they took it. It would have meant something, wouldn't it? I'll come back to that a bit later. I want you to think about what the Sabbath would have looked like for them. And I've got three little suggestions. that I think they're exhaustive. But um, three things I think that if I was an Israelite, it would have helped shaped me and and told me a different story you remember we were talking about stories that our culture tells us stories that what you do is who you are and the bible gives us another story that we are made in the image of god and that's what gives us value that we're made to well i'd say worship him in both our work and rest but the israelite was told to stop every seven days to remember something it was something they were liable to forget and so uh, sabbath is a reminder of who i am That I am not God. Weekly, I'm reminded that unlike, say, Steve Jobs, who effectively wanted to use his work a bit like the Tower of Babylon, to build a tower up to the heavens, to kind of rival God, to make a name for himself. And we must not do that. We must see ourselves as creatures, not as creator. To not define our work in a way that makes us try and rival God as sort of rulers of this world. That God is God and I am not. And to know my place. Do you remember uh, Psalm 121? Uh, trust uh, your God because he's the God who neither uh, slumbers nor sleeps. Is that? Sleeps? Or, yeah. Uh, which is kind of, you gonna to develop a whole theology of sleep out of Psalm 121. The sleep of the righteous because I know that God is on the throne. Whereas if I'm God and if I'm kind of pretending to be God in this world... Well, I have to really worry when I fall asleep because I'm incredibly vulnerable at that moment because I am the one that safeguard my safety. I'm the one who protects me from danger. And yet if you're an Israelite, you know that the God who created the heavens and the earth, he's your God and he's always protecting you. He's always on, uh, on duty. Don't confuse yourself with God. Even sleep is an act of trust, remembering that God is God and I am not. But... Um, I want you to think just how uh, seriously they took uh, each of those uh, elements. Um, it's hard to find out the equivalent of something like a festival like the Sabbath, because it, it was a whole nation, a whole community kind of uh, event. Um, we don't all engage in Anzac Day, but when everybody stops um, to some extent or another, on one day a year, and remembers something um, it has a powerful effect. I take my kids um, not every year but regularly down to the uh, one of the squares in Christchurch early in the morning and as the sun comes up you see all these people who are gathered quite intentionally to remember and it 's a really powerful thing in fact, one of the first times I spoke in New Zealand it was for a Christian fellowship group in Palmerston North and Mark Grace took me along to the Anzac uh, service and uh, um, he said, oh, there's going to be a flyover. And I thought, oh, that's cool, cool. Just New Zealand have kind of flying jets. And I, I, I thought, I don't, I don't think they had, do they? End? And then Cessna sort of... <laughs> and I was kind of like New Zealand Air Force that arrived. <laughs> it was very threatening in a sort of pacifist kind of way. Um, it, was a, it was a great day. But uh, the power of stopping and remembering as a community Ooh. is really significant. Try and get that into your head, the whole nation to stop and say, we belong to the God of Israel, and we're gonna. It's so important to us that every week we're gonna stop and have that festival. That's a lot, isn't it? That we used to be in a land of slavery, and now we're in a land of rest, and we need to stop and rest every week to remember how cool that is, how important that is to who we are. Now, just to do a little translation for us today. Who more and more churches? And again, I'm not moving a direct line from Sabbath to to Sunday attendance, but more and more churches are saying if we get someone once a month, that's a win for us. Uh, Where, you know, sport and church are kind of direct uh, competitors for space in the calendar, and uh, more and more people are going, you know, we can watch online, we can stay at home, is it wonderful? We can down (laughs) doing our pajamas, and kind of there's all kinds of challenges to space. Will you trust God with your time? Because that's what Israel was called to do in their context. And related to that, therefore, it was also an expression of trust. Again, do a thought experiment for me. And, and whenever I do anything about kind of agriculture or farming, uh, I'm well out of my comfort zone, okay? But I've been watching on Prime. Uh, has anyone watched Clarkson's Farm? Jeremy Clarkson? Uh, yes. We got enjoyed it as a family. Apart from his kind of potty mouth, he's, he's got a very poor language, Jeremy Clarkson. Um, but the idea is, if you know uh, Clarkson from Top Gear, and he has a stack of money, and he's got this uh, whopping property in the Cotswolds or something. It's somewhere. And it's quite impressive, but he has no idea how to farm. He's a, a, he's a driver and a showman, but farming is not his thing. And the whole idea is actually to help you see just what hard work it is to do farming and so what he does is he says i'm gonna manage my farm in a sort of active way for 12 months and see what happens and it is just hilarious seeing him and he's schooled by this young guy what's his name caden or caleb, caleb? Yeah. caleb's brilliant caleb's kind of like 20 years old or something and he knows like 50 times as much as jeremy clarkson and kind of go oh you idiot that's not how you do it and he kind of he tries to plow and he's sort of all over the place and kind of uh, it's, 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 it brings shame on the whole farm because he hasn't gone on a straight line. And um, and day after day, you see him doing all kinds of stuff that he just looks really stupid. But particularly when it's, you, you realize just how stressful farming is. Uh, you are uh, absolutely beholden to the weather, you're beholden to all of these things out of your control. And when it's harvest time, if you get a, you know, rains come, suddenly the whole harvest can be rubbish. And it reminded me again of this Sabbath principle because. Can you imagine harvest time coming and it's just one of those few days a year when you have to bring that crop in and then suddenly you realise it's Friday evening at 5pm and you will stop down tools and do nothing for 24 hours. Now for me, that's not much of a cost. The concept of uh, harvesting for 24 hours doesn't really appeal in the first place. but. To miss out on that little window could actually destroy your whole harvest for the for the next 12 months and an israelite was supposed to stop and trust god that he would still provide for them even if they did that step of obedience do you know what it might remind them of something that happened in the time of wandering in the desert when they had not a countdown down the road It might have reminded them how God provided bread and quail, manna in the desert. And God had to teach them to trust him every day. Just a bit like how Jesus taught you to trust him when he says, when you pray, pray like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us today our daily bread. Not the bread for the year or the bread for the week that I can stick ahead in the freezer. Give me enough for today. I will trust you day by day to give me what I need. Are you willing to trust God with your time? Now, here's the way you express trust even today. You give it away. It's counter right? So one of the ways that Christians will be totally different to our culture is the way we use our money. I'm going to go back to that again. Imagine your pagan neighbour and Christian sitting next to each other and the Christian says, I'm going to keep on giving money away even when I'm under mortgage stress, even when I've got all kinds of uh, you know, real estate uh, challenges. I've got all these things. I've got five kids. I've got... But I'm going to keep on giving money away. Why? In part, it's because it's an expression of trust that I will have enough even if I'm faithful to God in this thing. Well, I want you to try and make the swap of that to think about time. That you can trust God that even if you stop that God will still give you enough in productivity. Now that's really hard for the first year student who I see arriving at university, who's been told or in, uh, swallowed the story of our culture, that their value and identity is tied up to that GPA mark or uh, uh, number next to their name. That they are totally defined by uh, the number that says how they're going in all their courses. And I've seen these students, they're just absolutely petrified. Of failing a test. And they will do whatever it takes to pass that exam. And they'll work seven days a week. And if you tell them, why don't you take a day off in seven and see what that does, see the fear rising in them. This is really countercultural. But my challenge is will you trust God? Now, I don't know where you're at with it today um, in the way you use your time. And I'm going to move from a law to principle again. But uh, do you think the story that is told by your use of time tells a story of trust? Or is it perhaps fear has crept back in? I can't get done what I need to do in the time that I have. Maybe that's one of the things you need to walk away and think about on your own uh, in the coming uh, days. It's a bit weird, isn't it? Because we're actually, for say the student, I'm saying to them, you know the other student standing next to you Give them a 20 metre head start because you're going to take off a whole day where you don't do anything related to your studies regularly. And that kind of these other students going to work seven days a week. They're your, they're your competitor. And actually, going to say, will you trust God? And it could be that you actually make a, counter, a radical decision, say, as a student, to say, I can't do this degree without working seven days a week. That's actually really clear guidance that I should do another type of degree, not this one. And I haven't found one student in 15 years who's done that. That's going to be a great decision for one to make. And go, there's other people who can do this in six days. I can't. That's clear guidance I'll find somewhere else. All right, third thing. Sabbaths are an expression of purpose. You see, I think we kind of... Uh, read the old testament laws okay make sure you have a day off but go back and read the book of exodus uh, leviticus numbers and deuteronomy and you'll realize that the bible takes sabbath in its context then very seriously you could be stoned for not keeping the seventh day and uh, that's totally weird for us and um uh, it's not just the, the the um, the unions were particularly strong in Jesus's day, sorry, in uh, Moses's day. It's, it's bigger than that. It was something that stood at the heart of their national identity. It was to, to not take your Sabbath would be to say, I'm no longer an Israelite. It's no longer what I live for. I no longer see myself as a people who've been saved Uh, out of Egypt and into a land of rest. This is a community-wide experiment with time to remember who they were. Um, And it was an enforced reminder. And what it did, it told you what your place was in the world. That you took a day every week to go, yes, I don't live just to work. I live as God's person in this world. And if you take yourself back, which is what the... Do you notice that Exodus 20 takes it back to the very first chapter of the Bible, the seventh day, and it says, remember that's what the world was about. It wasn't just about work. You are more than just a unit of economic production. Remember that God created you to know Him, to be in relationship with one another and to love and enjoy and delight in this world. That is what you're created for. And when you were doing those three things you can do that as worship to the glory of God. Um, It actually commissions you for the other six days. As you remember who you are, you go out going, yes, I know who I am. I'm God's person in this world, and I'm going to live in this world differently. I'm going to do my work, but not in order to try and create something that I never can, but in order to um, express delight in the God who made me. Okay. Uh, I want you to give you some sort of space to think how might this work out for you in different areas. Um, uh, let me say a few things about trusting God with your time and how that might play out. Um, I put down here some kind of aspects to expressing Sabbath as a principle, planning for engagement with God, planning for rest, planning for health. Or sleep and planning to disconnect. Um, what I might get you to do is in your groups, or you might need to move somewhere. I want you to talk about is there any area that you go, Oh, I've actually neglected this for quite a while. Um, I haven't uh, been s- sleeping, and I kind of know that perhaps because I'm anxious uh, about things that I'm worrying about in the world, um, I've over in other places, uh, or when I stop. I'm actually not engaging with God. I'm just kind of having a glass of wine and stopping. It's just ceasing work rather than engaging with the God who made me. Um, Think about some of those headings and they may spark something in discussion of areas that you might think, actually, I need to perhaps walk away and think about this area of my life. So I'll give you a few minutes to do that. Uh, Let me make a few comments on that and there may be kind of areas for you to to work on because I think most of us have got a kind of... There's areas of creep going on in our life and uh, increasingly Christians, I don't think, have a regular rhythm. And actually, if we're going to trust God with our time, setting up the structures and rhythms of life, even if it's not a law, I think it's important for Christians to go, this is how I make sure, as much as I can, that God stays central in my remembrance and in my rhythm of life, because that often makes much more impact than just the ascent to beliefs that I have. What is the the, the liturgy of life that I have? The structure of life, the pattern. Um, and and part of it is um, viewing rest as just sort of preparation for work. Uh, viewing rest as stopping in order to work again. Uh, this is there's a guy who's written a book which I referred to last night, Alex Pang. He's got a Korean name that I can't pronounce in the middle, but um, uh, look up those words. Uh, Rest is in the title. And he says, uh, popularly, rest is seen as a negative space, as the absence of work. And he argues that actually rest is much richer than that. It's the partner to work. It's the thing that creatively uh, partners with work to re-energise and refresh and restore and recreate us. Um, And he's not a Christian, but he kind of has done some of the work. And it'd be worth listening to his book. Or if you um, wanted just a short version of it, um, John Dixon has a podcast called Undeceptions. And he did an episode on the uh, topic of rest. And in an hour, you can get sort of the highlights. And he actually interviews uh, Alex Pang. Uh, Really, really interesting. He gives an example, for instance, of Charles Darwin and his prolific output uh, in... Uh, scholarship and yet at the same time his lifestyle was fascinating that he he you kind of think the more hours you work the more output you get and all the research actually suggests you get diminishing returns and actually after a while you get reduced returns for the number of hours you put in and uh he'd worked out the optimum number of creative hours in the day and it was far less than you thought it was like four or five and the rest of the day was spent structured around intentionally refreshing him and putting him in a position where he could creatively engage and think. And he gives a number of examples from history where people who have been massively productive are not working 12-hour days, but they're actually working far less. And the, what's, the rest has been the partner to their work. That's, that's his, his thesis. You can go and uh, listen to the podcast or uh, listen to the book. But what he misses out, because he's not a Christian is quite intentionally planning to engage with god remember the sabbath was not just absence of labor it was to remember that god created you and that god made the heavens and the earth and that you were to stop and remember back from creation what you were for to remember your purpose to remember to trust him to remember to find your identity in that and not something else and so if you don't kind of go okay. no on my uh downtime I actually intentionally need to find structures which will reorient me towards God um, then I think we're kind of we've secularized rest we've turned rest into just a recharge Sorry, I'm in order to work again I think it's probably not nearly as helpful uh, planning for health and planning for sleep and in COVID times I think this is a real struggle for us um, we, is it because we sort of think as we scroll through the news and just checking on Ukraine and I'm checking on COVID statistics and I'm just checking, we almost feel like we're, because we know about it, we control it. And I, I think there's almost this idolatry going on there that we think that we have to check on these, things. we have to sort of supervise these things and you know we're almost trying to be God. We're not limiting ourselves and going, you know I don't need to know every single update and every single number and the thing of uh, internet and social media, it brings the whole world into our kind of phone and we're constantly trying to sort of supervise that something's not right something's I've got to fix it uh in in another age that would have been very very different and I suspect that relates to kind of uh sleep uh the number of people who start the day and finish the day and I think I'm often in this basket uh checking the news reading the news then check the social media check the social media and that can kind of if you looked at the number of hours we spend on that that would be much more fruitfully spent either Uh, reading a book and focusing on one thing uh, or just sleeping longer um, would make a huge impact in our overall health. Uh, A number of people are um, going for digital Sabbaths. Again, I don't want you to pretend there's some command in the Bible, Um, but one day a week, just sort of making sure their phone goes away and they kind of disconnect from it all to remind them that God is on the throne and he doesn't sleep and therefore you can and you can rest. I got this text um, just from one of the Team on my uh, staff team, and uh, she's heading up our design and communications team. And she, since she's done that, she's now got about, I don't know, 10 people on her team, and they're all volunteers, and so they'll text her at any time when it's convenient for them. And yet she's now kind of got all these messages coming in at all times, and she kind of feels it's important, it's church work. And she goes, No, no, I need to put some boundaries around it. So she sent out this text this week. Hi, people I care about, in an effort to set some better habits around the use of my phone. I've turned off notifications for all my apps, including text messages. I'll check my messages periodically, but if you ever need a quick response, just give me a call. Now, it may not be for you, but I thought that's really interesting because she's worked out that when I'm just constantly on call, I'm always just kind of thinking, oh, my, they might need me. And so I'm never really fully engaging with the people in front of me. And I find that the people who kind of say, no, this is not the time. This is now the time for my family. This is now the time for... Uh, are actually much more helpful when they engage because they're fully devoted to the person in front of uh, them. So have a think um, of ways you could do that. Social media is probably a big influence. There's a book that might be helpful to read through if you want to sort of think more about it. Um, uh, 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. Uh, Tony Runker, I think the name is. Anyone read this book? Um, A few people in our church have dipped into this. And uh, thought through the effect, uh, having a smartphone, uh, affects our uh, whole thinking. You may want to think about three sort of big areas. Your physical, emotional and spiritual health. Kind of think of them as three batteries. And uh, to actually work out how could my Sabbath, how could my rest time uh, contribute to uh, each of those areas. And some people kind of, they just see Sabbath or their day off as... and I'm gonna be careful my language, Um, uh, rest time is purely contributing to physical but think about the emotional and spiritual or there's other Christians who just think God only cares about my spiritual things I just read the Bible and pray and that's what I'm supposed to do and they're missing that God cares about you as a whole person he cares about you physically and emotionally and it's absolutely right to go what I really need is not just more Bible reading I need a night out without kids and a good restaurant and I need some time to myself and I need to be able to just stop and be refreshed. And stop feeling guilty about that. And it's not unspiritual. It's more spiritual to go, I'm a created person. I'm an embodied person. God made me physically with a body and it wasn't unintentional. God doesn't just care about your spirits and what biblical beliefs you put a tick on. He cares about who you are as a person. And so reflect that in the way you uh, express. Okay. Okay. I want to try and do it practically from another angle now. Um, Think about four areas of life. I've got them on page 11. And uh, I want you to do some thinking about work, home, church and leisure. Um, In your little groups. I wonder if you could think about. Let me give you a general observation. We often say we're busy. In fact, one of the challenges, if you want a challenge to walk away, just like we had the phone challenge, of putting your phone in a box. Here's a challenge. For seven days, when someone says, how are you going, you are not allowed to say, I'm really busy. And you're not allowed to use a, a synonym for it. Oh, flat out. Oh, <laughs> totally stressed, full on. Okay, get rid of all of them and just do something really creative. I'm really joyful. <laughs> uh, do something else other than that. And you'll find out how hard it is. I'm not saying that I do this because it's actually a... So counterintuitive. And it is tied into a whole narrative about busyness is what gives me identity. And so if I'm a busy person, I'm a valuable person. Remember, if what I do is what makes me me, if I cease to do, what will I be? Non-existent. So i have got to kind of keep on undoing that in our minds. And yet, when I meet busy people, they think that they're being busy and it's just because they've got too much on. But what I observe very, very often, if you look at this table they're over-busy in one of the areas of their life at the cost of the other. The problem is not workload. The problem is where they are busy. And I find this such a helpful thing to be reminded of that often it's the, like the business guy and he spends his life trying to make a name for himself or trying to increase the bank balance and there's never enough and so he just works harder and harder and harder. And he says there's just too much to do. But he's not busy in his home. And he's neglected his kids. And he underinvests in the home area of life and that's falling apart. And so what he does, he says, I oh, i really find it frustrating. No one really appreciates me at home, but at work they think I'm valuable. At work they give me good reviews and I get the deals and people say you're amazing, you're overperforming. But actually it's because I'm underperforming somewhere else. Don't borrow here in order to pay back over there. I want you to have a chat in your groups about what that might look, think of different people and where kind of situations you've seen where we've over or under-invested in some of those uh, four areas. Just to attribute uh, where some of these ideas have come from, this Busy in the Right Places comes from a book by Matt Fuller from the UK, uh, Time for Everything, How to Be Busy Without Feeling Burdened. Busyness is not the problem, it's often the kind of Uh, the places and the uh, way that we're busy. And uh, he wrote a really helpful book on that. And this little illustration uh, is taken from him. And if you want to think more about it, he has some chapters where he goes through some examples that I found really, really helpful. Uh, Let me kind of walk through some of the boxes as I go through and give you some examples uh, where I think this plays out. So, for instance, the area of work, I work a lot with students and I see them trying to find their identity in their, their marks... Uh, it's easy to pick it in the business world. Um, your a- a- identity is defined on the latest deal you've got and you'll sacrifice in the other three areas to achieve it. What the diagram is supposed to show is idolatry where you overinvest in this area and neglect where you underinvest in the area. And uh, what it tells you is in between is this space called freedom. And it really is important in the Christian life that we don't just create a new legalism, but actually what God has done is said, there is freedom for you to make choices that not everyone in this this space would make. And that's okay. You have freedom in the area of work to kind of say, uh, like my wife, we had to make a decision. The kids were getting a bit older. Would she go back into uh, full-time work or would she invest in time in church? And she did a year of uh, working for our, our kid's school and the money helped a little bit um, but then we decided it just wasn't worth it um, and actually then this year we've swapped in the last 12 months we've swapped to her working full-time uh, for church but with a real flexibility around our kids and uh, we found that worked really really well but it was one of those areas that Christy felt endlessly guilty about but actually she needed to know i have freedom in this decision um uh, to express it come with me to ephesians chapter 4 One of the really helpful verses I find. There's just little nuggets in the Bible. There's not a whole chapter on the theology of work, right? But here's a throwaway line. Ephesians 4, verse 28. This is again addressing... um, Sorry, this is addressing someone who used to steal and then has become a Christian. What does it say to them? Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Just reflect on that for a moment. What you would be tempted to do would be to say this, you who steal things, stop it. (laughs) But he doesn't say that. He says the gospel will take the hand that took and transform it now into a hand that gives. That's a gospel difference. It's not just a no to something. The gospel commands and empowers a total transformation from the heart that you can never really command by force, is it? Be generous. And now, my work, do you go to work saying, here's the question for you, an application. Have I ever thought about it? I go to work in order to be more generous to others. I go to work first and foremost so I'm not dependent on others. So if you are not unable to find work, this is not kind of uh, on you. But if you do have ability to work, you ought to be providing for yourself. And once you have ability to provide for yourself, you'll also now have a uh, gospel-powered encouragement to now be generous towards others. Um, Only the gospel can do that kind of transformation. So if we're not providing for ourselves and we have the ability to, that's actually underperforming in work. There could be a laziness involved. And Paul says, if you will not work, you will not eat. He encourages people. Now, I've got to be really careful. If you're unable to work, and for all kinds of reasons, that's a totally different thing. But if you are able to, and just don't want to, then I think you are addressed by Ephesians 4.28. Or you could be going to work while you're in Ephesians. Go to chapter 6, verse 6. And we'll see, again, what we looked at this morning, the slave. You could be at work and doing what I call eye-pleasing. Obey them not only to win their favour, your boss's favour, when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. See, are you turning up to work, and when the boss is there, you are you know, diligent and working hard, and as soon as the boss is gone, up comes you know, uh, solitaire, up comes social media, and then the boss comes and suddenly we all flip back. Christians will be different of that, because we know that the eye of God is on us, not the eye just of our boss. And that will actually make us different. And so, Christians, you are underperforming when you steal from your employer by not working hard. Maybe that's an area you need to think about. Or uh, let's, let's pick the home column. Uh, I think some Christians have really idolised their home life. Anything that threatens the stability and uh, freedom we have as a family will be removed. And sometimes you'll see this, for instance, in COVID. It's just more convenient for me to watch church online in my pyjamas, in my lounge room. Why would I want to gather with God's people over another place even when I can and it's safe to do so? Um, well, why not? And I've seen people who've kind of gone down this line and they can justify it by sort of picking certain parts of the Bible and then they end up just pulling back further and further from, from church and community and mission. Uh, well, you know, You're allowed to do church as a home group, they say. And then, you of, know, one year they're doing that. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but we've decided now to meet every second week. And then we've decided just to share the leading around. And now we just kind of, anyone who wants to lead, they could do it. And now we've just decided to have a, a, a discussion every now and then. And then we now meet at the cafe. And now actually Bob's uh, moved away for work. And now my kids have absolutely no input at all. And do you see where they've gone? And it was a step at a time, but they never really kind of realised that, home and family life was their god and their idol um, or uh, where you neglect home life so i remember i was on a, a christian camp a while ago and a minister's daughter was on the camp with me and i had a really sad conversation with her uh, i said how's the relationship with your dad and she said oh he's pretty busy he's always distracted and he's always responding to stuff at church there's no time for me And I said, how do you deal with that? She said, well, actually, I've matured a bit over the years. But you know what I did as a teenager? I'd actually make stuff up. I'd make up problems because I think I'd worked out that anyone who had a problem in church, Dad would drop the family commitments and go and serve them. And I realised that was the name of the game. So I just realised I need to come up with problems. And so she came up with a series of made-up problems in order to get Dad's attention. And I want to say that didn't glorify God. You can invest all the hours you like in church life, but if it's the neglect of loving your children and not being a parent to them, it is not honouring or glorifying to God. Or, let me pick the church column, to uh, a minister or a, a key team leader Uh, I could make myself indispensable to to church. And I, I just love the fact that everybody comes and checks with me and how's it going and things are growing and I become indispensable to the team. I can't go on holiday. And you know what? The next step is I'll become resentful towards church. I'll become resentful to the load that it is. And I kind of get more and more burdened, but it's kind of actually me who's the one who's kind of created the structure because I want to feel like I'm doing my bit for the kingdom. And when people don't realize it, I get really bitter. But actually I could go below the floor of freedom into neglect and not obey Hebrews 10.24. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Or it could be I've decided, like some students I know, I am so busy with my degree, I will come to church, but that is it. I can't afford to give time. I won't give money. And once I've finished church, I'm going to go straight back to the library. It's not really a day off in any way, any sense. It's just kind of an hour and a half off. And they say, well, but I'm doing the church thing, Dad. You know, I'm doing that kind of thing. Um, And I think it often comes out of fear um, because I don't trust that there'll be enough time or enough resource if I don't do those things. And remember what a weekly Sabbath might do to train me to trust God with my time. Well, lastly, what about leisure? Um, One minister said to me, the thing he noticed coming to New Zealand was it was almost impossible to get Kiwis to commit to rosters regularly at church. I know you don't call them rosters, so teams at church we've got a swear jar on our staff team which I have to keep on filling <laughs> um, because he, he he thought that there's a cultural thing for Kiwis of the freedom to be able to engage go away for the weekend uh, go to the batch they, it's not that they're unwilling if they're around but they don't want to be constrained by any kind of roster or commitment in the diary, they want that kind of freedom that's their idol and it really pushes out any commitment to gospel work Uh, or it could be the oe now again i don't think oes are necessarily wrong in themselves there is a matter of freedom but i want to ask a student for instance who's going on an oe did you actually do that because you wanted to grow as a christian or because you just wanted to make an idol of leisure have you thought about where are you going to go to church in that time? Have you thought about where you're going to get spiritual input? Or is it just endless rest as an end in itself of leisure, of soaking up experiences, of filling my bucket, uh, ticking off those items on my bucket list? And I think it's another idol that we need to own up to. And one of the things that uh, it comes from is we've confused and secularised rest again. We've cho- chosen to sort of see rest is just the ob- absence of work and filling it up with leisure and pleasurable activities because that's just a hedonist dream, not a Christian one, because we actually have a bigger view of rest, that rest is found in God, and our ultimate rest is found in resting together with God's people in the new creation, not in the land of Israel, but in heaven, where there'll be new heavens and a new earth. And that means I'm willing to give up some leisure time now, so that more people can join me. It's so that we can together go on mission so that other people enter that rest. So it's actually like Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, actually, I choose singleness, even though marriage is a good thing, because it gives me more gospel opportunities. Or Jesus in Matthew 19, he says, some will be eunuchs single for the sake of the kingdom. Why? Well, because singleness gives all kinds of opportunities that will proclaim the kingdom and see something even bigger than my day off or my year off, actually people in eternity with you. Um, Sometimes some of our commitments to leisure is because we have idolised that rather than looking forward to heaven. We've moved heaven to the now and said we're in God's own, this is the place of heaven and we're enjoying heaven now and we just don't want to be interrupted. Heaven is not yet. But you can also neglect this area by not having a day off. By not, how many people stop and say thank you at a meal for the provision of God? That's a good tradition, it's not in the Bible. But stopping and saying, well, it actually is in the Bible, but it's not commanded, I don't think. Uh, Saying thanks at mealtime. And actually, if you don't do any of those things, one of the things you may do is you stop actually appreciating creation. You stop enjoying beauty. You stop valuing taking time and expressing joy. You stop appreciating art to become this closed-in kind of, I just have to do enough good deeds this side of heaven, and go, actually, creation was a gift that God has given for my enjoyment, and it restores me. It's actually an important part for me. Um, there's some aspects, you could think. But in the middle, a big area of freedom. And what I don't want you to do is to go, walk home and say, uh, drive home and say, Nick said... I have to give up social media. I'm never allowed to go on weekends away. And I've, got this whole, I've just got a whole lot more laws. That is not what I'm saying. Okay, uh, I'll pause there. Um, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your kindness to us. And we pray that you would help us to trust you with our time. And we ask that our lives would tell a story in the use of our time that trusts you to express who we are, that trusts you to provide for all that we need. And reminds us of our purpose in this world, to worship you and enjoy you forever. We pray that many others would be able to enter your rest with us. And we pray that we would live lives that sometimes give up good things for the sake of that ultimate thing. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.